All right, so you guys agree with me tonight. This is a subject I'm real comfortable with, and it's going to be a little bit different sermon in that I'm dealing with revival, but I'm going to kind of move in and out of the notes a lot. But Lord, we thank you so much for tonight. Lord, we're hungry for more of you. And as we come before you in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we praise you. And you alone are holy and an awesome God, mighty, worthy of all the praise. Lord, we ask you tonight that the heavens will be really open, that your glory will be awesome. Lord, I ask you that every person that's going to be hearing this, Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears to be eyes and ears of the Spirit. Lord, I ask you to give us the grace to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move upon us right now, all that are hearing this, that your Holy Spirit will really move upon us and help us, Lord, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. We're not going to be distracted by anything. Lord, that you would just breathe upon us and help us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, that our eyes and ears are able to see and hear what maybe we couldn't have before, but the Holy Spirit will help us. And Lord, I pray as you speak through me, let everything be said that needs to be said tonight. Let it be as living seeds of truth sown out in a good soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, even as I'm speaking tonight on the subject of revival, Lord, I'm asking you that there would be a release of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, in their hearts, that they would begin to burn for revival. Lord, I pray that there literally, even in the sermon, that there's going to be like an impartation of fire in people to be hungry for more than where they're at. In Jesus' name. But Lord, we ask you to bless this. Let it get everywhere it's supposed to go and accomplish everything it's supposed to do. We submit everything unto you and we resist the devil. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder. And we command to go from this time, from this word, from everyone listening. We bind you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let this get in people's hearts. Lord, let it penetrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm talking about the coming revival and just use some artwork here that has to do with Elijah remember Elijah built the altar and the prophets of Baal were there and the fire fell you know and that's kind of where I'm coming from in this sermon tonight and dealing with first Kings 18 I'm not going to read all of it but most of you know the story but I want you to see a couple things tonight as I'm preaching so I want if you would tonight to really give me your best ear your full attention just lock into what God is saying tonight and um, just as little moving around as possible. But I really appreciate if you could really focus in on this tonight. Um, this is a very important word. And I wanted to read a couple things. There's a preface here that Steve Hill wrote in his book, The Pursuit of Revival, which came out back in the 90s at the Brownsville Revival. But I want you to really hear what Steve is saying here. He said this, Throughout world history, there have been special seasons of grace where God Almighty chose to pour out his spirit upon the land. And we need it. Man, we need it. But you know, revival has always come during very dark times. And he says, sometimes these outpourings lasted a few days, but dealt a powerful death blow to the devil. Other times, these sweet visitations would go on for months and even years, soaking people in the presence of God. These marvelous moments of mercy were usually preceded by long seasons of spiritual drought. And that's where we're at right now. As I mean, since the 90s, I thought things would go deeper. They went the other way bad. The church was at an all-time low in spiritual power and numerical attendance. 
The country as a whole had been drifting down a path of sin and degradation. They had lost the grip of God's hand and were being led away by the powers of darkness. Evil practices, occult worship, love of pleasure, life-controlling vices such as alcohol and sexual lust were rampant. Rivalry and fights, a disregard for God's warning in his word, a disdain for the truth, an unconcern for holiness, and a hellish philosophy of saying, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. We're often the rule of the day. But somewhere, what he's saying here is that these low times spiritually, these dark times, these dry times, somewhere off in the country on a hillside in a small cottage littered with, within by a few pieces of humble furniture, off in a corner, you would find a small two-by-four-foot braided rug, and on that rug would be worn-out spots where somebody, some dear saint of God, had knelt and prayed day after day, night after night, laboring like a mother, laboring, giving birth, these saints prayed for a spiritual awakening in their country. Amid all the smoke of hell outside, inside that cottage was the clean air of heaven. And there always have been pockets of believers sprinkled throughout the land, earnestly seeking God, motivated by a desperate desire for revival. And God has always had his remnant. They took hold of the horns of the altar. The darkness of the night was pierced by their agonizing pleas for a visitation from God. Their hot prayers lit up the sky just as lightning displaces utter blackness as bar rooms and dance halls would be seen full of sinners just a few doors down in a small apartment would be a dear saint of god pounding uh, the tongue and groove pinewood floor with his fist blasting his fiery arrows of intercession just as john knott's haunting words give me scotland or i die the hierarchy of that day went down in history saying that they were more afraid of John Knotts' prayers than all the armies in the world. The corridors of heaven would ring with the consistent, dogmatic, God-demanding, heartfelt, soul-stirring prayers. Before long, the faithfulness of God would reign supreme, just as God answered the bellowing cries for the Brownsville revival. Over the centuries, he has faithfully turned his ear toward the prayer warrior. He's always been moved by the Christian warrior's zeal, in his intense concern for the welfare of mankind. I can only, I can, I'm sorry, I can imagine him standing up in the throne room of heaven, raising his right hand, saying, Gabriel, sound the war cry, gather the thousands of seasoned warring angels. Holy Spirit, it's, the time has come. Jesus, my son, it is time. Now receive the reward of your suffering. The Holy Ghost, flood that nation with your presence. I can hear the Father say, See that band of believers, yes, that 120 in the upper room unleashed the power of heaven, let tongues of fire fall. And he goes on, but he was saying that the soldiers who went before us were the, in constant pursuit of revival. God heard their cry and answered their prayers. The point I wanted to make is, is that he understood that um, revival is not something that just happens one day. Like some kind of just a spontaneous combustion, it just it just happened it's not like that at all um you know charles finney said this and he was right he said revival is just like planting wheat you go out in the field you plow and you plant the wheat and then you sit back and you expect wheat to come up and he was saying that revival is not something that just randomly happens let me let me assure you that when revival has come somebody was praying and somebody got a hold of God. And I was going to, just one more quick thing I wanted to read here. 
This was out of um, John Kilpatrick's book called When the Heavens Are Brass, and it's chapter one, and I just want to read this little beginning part here. But this is sad but true in many places, especially today. You know, he wrote this back in the 90s, but I've seen what he's talking about get a lot worse in the last 20 years, not a lot better, unfortunately. But anyway, he said, I remember reading about a church where the power of God flowed in a wonderful stream of glory, and the people enjoyed rich worship full of joy and when they said praise the lord they meant it with their heart and their words didn't resound like sounding brass or tinkling cymbals we hear so that we hear so much today they sang songs with meaning and the spirit of god moved powerfully during the song services and people often got up on their own without an altar call walked to the altar to pray and when the old silver-haired pastor finally stood to preach no one noticed that his voice was gone from years of heartfelt spirit-inspired preaching he preached with depth and with rich sense of God's grace, strengthened by the certainty that there were intercessors and prayer warriors praying for him and for those in need. These praying men, see, I remember back in the day, I remember that in spirit-filled Pentecostal churches, you know, even before church would start, people walking the aisles and praying, you know, and I remember during, that there were intercessors that would come up on their own and really pray and seek God during the week for the church and for the services coming up but anyway he said these praying men and women knew how to touch god they had spent much of the week secreted away in prayer closets or bedrooms praying and interceding oh god when our pastor stands to minister let the anointing be on him let your power be there to draw people to you they weren't interested in being elevated above others neither did they want to be seen or heard um, by appreciative audiences their greatest joy and source of fulfillment came when they got alone with God and prayed fervently until God saved souls. When the old pastor, now listen to the transition here. When the old pastor decided to retire, the history of that church was going to be forever changed. Little did the people understand that not only was the ministry of their beloved pastor ending, but the vitality of the church was also coming to an end. Over the years, they had known the depths of the rich anointing and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Solid Bible preaching and godly leadership had embedded a strong foundation in most members of the congregation, drawing them even closer to the Lord and His will. Unfortunately, this was not true for all the members of the congregation. The individuals on the pulpit committee felt that certain changes need to be made. When they began to search for a new pastor, they all agreed to look for somebody very young, and they agreed it was time to do away with some of the emotionalism in worship, especially the groaning and the travailing of the intercessors. The committee had no difficulty finding a preacher to meet the qualifications. Sadly, they never bothered to ask God what he wanted. The candidate chosen by the pulpit committee perfectly matched their list of qualifications. When he preached, there was very little of the irritating emotionalism they had wanted to get rid of. The congregation seemed very docile. The committee found the peace and quiet refreshing. One irritation did remain to these people that were on that committee. The former pastor's most faithful elderly intercessors continued to rise from her pew at the end of the service and kneel down on the carpet and pray where she had always prayed for the lost. The new pastor was very uncomfortable with the intercession of this elderly saint. Indeed, the altar call when this godly woman began to intercede before God and publicly travail, God send us revival. My God, give us souls this morning. Don't let souls leave here and go to hell. She was crying out to God. 
And it so disturbed this new pastor that he was strongly considering discarding this politically incorrect and somewhat primitive religious ritual from the order of the service. He felt that there was something spooky about it all. The former pastor, on the other hand, had looked forward to their prayers, knowing that it poured from the heart of God and that the Spirit of God praying and travailing through this godly woman. Unfortunately, no one in the Bible college had ever covered these subjects with a new pastor. The young pastor endured this public spectacle for about six months until one morning he had finished his sermon and he took action. As usual, the old uh, elders, intercessor came down and prayed and um, she was lost in intercession. She was crying out to God and the young pastor tapped her on the shoulder and said, honey, we don't want that here anymore. We don't want that in this church because it hinders newcomers from coming. They just don't understand it. And the pastor didn't know it but by his ignorant actions that day, he posted an ancient Hebrew name, Ichabod, on the front of the door of the church, which means the glory has departed. So I say that to say that you guys are used to one thing here, but I'm just telling you that what I just read has been taking place on a very large scale for the last 20 years to make sure and sanitize anything that has to do with tongues and groaning and travailing or anything like that. I've had, when I talk about this, I need to spend just a couple moments on this because I know that probably 99%, and this is not an exaggeration, I believe that to be very accurate. 99% of people that are going to be hearing this through Facebook or through the internet, literally, and it's not their fault, they have absolutely no idea what I'm even talking about because they've never heard it, they've never been around it, it has been kept from them. When we're talking about deep groaning and travailing and deep intercession, it's something so foreign right now. But it is the deepest form of prayer. And people that have a special gift and a special anointing for prayer, especially deep intercession like that, they are used by God many times to birth souls into the kingdom. And it's a very powerful thing. That's what Romans 8 was talking about. When it said, we don't really know how to pray all the time, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us with that deep groaning and travailing intercession. Words that cannot be uttered. I mean, you guys kind of have heard that and you kind of know <clears throat> it's deeper than words. It's a groan and a travail, and it's something that only the Holy Spirit can do through someone. And I had been at a particular Pentecostal church years ago when I very first got saved. I was, I was a baby in the Lord. And I got saved in January 95. This was 96. And I was around between the ages 19, 20. I was young spiritually, but I was young physically as well. And <clears throat> I remember that going there, I went through a lot of difficulties. It was a very religious place. And I remember that I had went to Brownsville and got powerfully touched there. And it was a very life-altering thing for me. I can't tell you how much it was. My, my entire um, spiritual life was just flipped upside down. God just really did a number on me. And when I came back to a place that was very traditional, it was very religious, and it was very dry, it was difficult for me. But it also, I had no idea at the time, but it began to really stir up the hordes of hell um, because it really had nothing to do with me. <clears throat> but the religious spirits in that church did not want what happened to me to happen there. I'll just put it that way. It didn't have to do with me because I by no means was any spiritual giant. I was a spiritual baby. But the demonic did not want 
<clears throat> that anointing to begin to get in that church. And so, <clears throat> and so they began to stir up problems and issues there. But I remember that I believe that really the only true reason why God sent me there was for this reason. God had so touched my life in revival. I was still, I'd been saved about a year, and I'd come out of some very, very deep sin. And I myself personally, being around, around 19, 20 years old, I, I was just a teenager a few years before that myself. And I had not been through any type of freedom, like deliverance of things and set free from stuff. And I was still struggling. But the Lord touched me powerfully. And because he touched me, there was such a fire that went into me that I began to be desperately hungry for the Lord. And I believe that was God's grace to keep me and sustain me because I went through a lot of warfare and a lot of difficulties. But through that, the Lord had to teach me how to die to the flesh. He had to teach me how to get freed up from the world. He had to teach me how to get delivered from things from my past. And it was a process that God took me through. But here's why I believe God sent me to that church. And I believe personally, looking back on it now, you know, like around 20 years later, looking back on this, I believe that the only reason why I was there was to meet these two elderly intercessors that were there. And God really used them in my life. Now, what happened was God touched me, but the church there was not really open to revival. Um, they would say they were, but they really didn't want what was going on in the actual revivals that were happening. So I was going up on my own, and I was spending time in prayer in the sanctuary by myself. And, you know, I had the Bible, and I'd really study the Word, and I was just so hungry. And I knew that I needed to learn how to pray, and I didn't know how to pray. Well, because I was there, there was these two elderly women that were just like what Brother Kilpatrick was talking about in this book. They were intercessors, and they would come in on off nights on their own. And I was already there, so they would come in, and I'd obviously be there praying, and so they began to spend some time with me and talking to me and they begin to pray with me and teach me how to pray and I would listen to them pray and I remember the the deep groaning and the travailing and the intercession that was going on and I and I saw for myself how close they were to God um, I also heard how they prayed and I knew that they knew a depth of prayer that probably the other people in the church didn't have a clue and I don't mean as a criticism, I just mean as an honest observation, okay? They had a gift in prayer, and they, they were going really deep in prayer, and they had to go there on an off night on their own to do that. But the combination of what was going on in my life as God touched me at Brownsville and what they were walking in was, was like um, throwing gasoline on a fire, you know, me hanging out with them. And... Um, I was just so hungry for God, I didn't really care at that point about whatever. You know, I just, I, I wanted to be there, and I wanted to be around them, and they were really ministering to me. And they began to take me to some revivals, and they began to lay hands and pray over me. And it was very powerful because I saw how their prayers also directly impacted the church. You know, nobody else knew they were there praying, but I, w I knew what they were praying about, how they were praying, and then I would see it happen, see. 
All of this had a very profound impact on me. I can't tell you how much it did. And years later, you know, I moved on from there and I, I lost touch with them. And, but the impact they had on my life. And I knew that they knew God. I knew that they walked with God. I knew that God spoke to them. I knew that they had revelation from him. And I knew that their prayers were powerful. I mean, we're saying this kind of jokingly, but David Hogan would say this, and he wasn't joking. It was kind of funny, though, as David's kind of a bigger guy, and he said, I don't, he said, I'm not really scared of hardly anything. But he said, I am scared of one thing. And he said, grandmas. And what he meant was, he was talking about those old ladies that pray. Because he said, he said, they know God, and you better not mess with them. That's what he was saying. He was being serious, even though it was funny. But um, I knew what he was talking about when he said that, when I heard him say, I'm scared of grandmas. Because I, I spent time with these ladies, and I knew how they were. And they had a special walk with the Lord. All right. So when I came out of there, I, I had a real passion for prayer. And so I began to pursue getting to know the Lord and learning how to pray. And I remember years later, fast forward, you know, many, many years later, um, you know, we were, we were starting a church, and I remember we went through a very difficult time. It's a major betrayal, and with that, a lot of people left, and we basically had to start over from ground zero. It's a very difficult time. And I did not know at the time if the church was going to make it. Now, we had always been a praying church because of the influence they had in my life. So we had always had corporate prayer, and it was powerful. It was good. Um, but anyway, so after going through that, I'll never forget this because it was something that was so powerful. I remember that I, I felt to myself I didn't know if the church was going to survive, and I didn't know if I was going to remain trying to do what I was trying to do with this church, if I was just going to pursue another path. And these were very legitimate questions to be asking. And I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to do. And it was a very, I can't tell you how difficult this time was for me. That The enemy was attacking me on several fronts. And this was just one of them, but it was a, it was a serious blow to the church. And I was going through praying for people that night. And there was only a handful of people that, that remained after this. It was a major betrayal. Um, it, was a, it was a very difficult time. And I was going through praying for people, and, and I was at a place where um, my heart was very heavy because of all this, you know. I wasn't feeling like a spiritual giant. I was feeling like I'm praying for this person, and power of God's touching them, but it's just the grace of God because inside I'm going, is this the last service? I mean, am I out of here now? What's going to happen, you know? You understand what I'm going through here? And I remember I got to Brianna, and at the time, she was still a teenager, I believe, still quite young. But I remember I was going through and praying, and I remember as soon as I touched her, she was hit. She'd been hit by the power many times, but this was different. She was thrown back in the air, landed on her back, and as soon as her back hit the ground, I heard those two elderly women. It, it was the craziest thing. I heard their voices coming out of her, with the deep groaning and travailing. And man, God moved in. As I was at a place like, I don't know what we're going to do. And God began to move with that deep groaning and that deep travail, that deep intercession. 
And once it started in her, it began to move to other people in the church. In other words, what those precious women had imparted to me that I didn't even really know. I knew that I was always somebody that had a bird or passion for prayer, but I did not know that that anointing, that impartation was just there waiting to, you know, I did not know that. So I'm going through it a very difficult time in my life and the Holy Spirit released that impartation and she was hit by the power, fell out. She began to groan and travail deeply and I mean, it was powerful. And from that point until now, that has been developed and not only her, but other people. And um, here's, the, here's the thing about that. That used to be common in churches, Pentecostal churches. That was not something that was uncommon at all. In fact, when you go back and study the Azusa Street Revival, they said about Azusa Street where Pentecost was birthed, they said that they would hear that into the late hours of the night. They would hear the groaning and travailing of the intercessors. And so that's always been there at Pentecost. And down through the years, you know, but this thing is that here lately in the last 20 years or so, exactly what Brother Kilpatrick was talking about in this book, that people have been trying to get rid of it because they're trying to cater to a carnal crowd. Are y'all hearing me? I look at it like this. I want to go deep in the Lord. I want the meat of the word. I, I want to go deeper in him. I'm not going to dumb everything down to, to some ridiculous level to cater to people that are carnal and worldly anyway, and it's questionable if they're even saved just to get them in here why to get their money it seems to me like that's what it's all about but I, I shouldn't probably say that too much it sounds critical but I do believe that there's something to what I'm saying right there they want to do whatever it takes to get as many people there because the it causes the finances to go way up but that's not how we need to be doing things and I remember that we've had times in here where the Holy Spirit would really move and the intercessors would begin, you'd hear the groaning and the travailing and the deep intercession. Well, as that's going on, I've had people come in that were speakers that travel the entire nation. And they've told me, multiple people have told me, Scott, I've never heard this anywhere but here. And I was like, excuse me? Because some of them preach in supposedly revival churches. And I said, well, come on, there's some places that, you know, revival places, and surely they get into deep prayer. He said, no, not anymore they don't. He said, I, I don't hear this anywhere. But he, and I've had multiple people tell me that. You know what's sad? Because I used to hear that at Brownsville all the time. You can go back. Those that don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and listen to when the Holy Spirit fell on YouTube at the Brownsville revival. You're going to hear the weeping and the groaning and travailing. That would come upon little children at Brownsville. And the little children would be weeping and groaning and travailing in the spirit. And the thing is, when you get past your flesh and you even get past your own human soul area, your own mind, your own emotions, you get deeper than that to where now it's your spirit and the Holy Spirit. It's deep calling unto deep. That's what's going on because the Holy Spirit is praying through your spirit the heart of God 
Now, the Bible says about Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession. So Jesus right now is in a very priestly role. I don't want to dwell on this, so just listen to this quick passing statement. When Jesus walked the earth, it was like a prophet. And then at, whenever he died on the cross, from that point, he was moving into his priestly ministry. He was the lamb. He was the great high priest. And he's now ever living at the right hand to be the great intercessor. He's, it's like the great high priest office. And when he comes again to the earth, he's coming as the king of kings. Okay? So he's prophet, priest, and king. But my point is, is that right now, he's the great intercessor. And what's happening is, is that whenever people get into that deep place of intercession, they are connecting with the great high priest by the Holy Spirit praying through them. And it, it grieves me deeply to hear that people have gotten away from that because I know for a fact that that's what births so many souls in revival. Now, let me say this too. There was a man, uh, I believe his name is Jonathan Burness. I may be saying it wrong, but he was on Sid Roth and he was sharing something and man, it really resounded with me. I was, Sid was saying to him in this interview, he said, Jonathan, he said, I remember that back and I believe it was the 80s if I'm not mistaken. He said, I remember back years ago that we were together praying in hotel rooms at the time. And he said, you, the Holy Spirit was moving so powerful upon you that you were praying. And he said, it wasn't just praying in tongues. He said, it was like you were groaning and travailing. You remember the scripture when Paul was really frustrated with the Galatians because they were getting away from the gospel and people were coming in telling them to go back into like Judaism to be saved. And, and Paul, and I know there was a Gentile church, but anyways, Paul was angry about it. He was saying, who has bewitched you? But listen to what he said. He said, I find myself again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul was moving into that deep place of groaning and travailing over them because something was trying to bewitch them and get them away from the gospel. But anyway, Sid was saying to Jonathan, he said, you were in that deep place of groaning and travailing. And Sid said, I had never seen that before. And to be honest, I didn't know what to think about it. And Jonathan said, well, let me tell you what that was about. He said, um, he said God was birthing. Is that all that time we were praying together and that groaning and travailing, he said, God was birthing souls. And he said, here's what happened. He said, after those prayer meetings, See, Jonathan um, happened to be a Jewish man. After those prayer meetings he had with Sid with that deep groaning and travailing for a period of time, he said he went to Russia and there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and there were thousands of Jewish people that came to know Jesus. And Jonathan said, he said they were birthed in the intercession in the hotel room. See, revival doesn't just happen. Somebody prayed. And I remember, um, I could go through every revival, we just don't have time. But you look it up for yourself. Every revival has had intercessors that prayed before it. And that's why God showed up. But I remember um, that at Brownsville, whenever Brother Kilpatrick was saying, hey, he said, you know about, you can even see this clip if you look it up. He was talking about the prayers. And he said that there was these prayer banners that was up. But he said, I heard the most groaning 
and the travailing and the weeping and the greatest tears were shed people were pounding the floor crying out around the revival banner more than the others he said it's where you heard the most groaning of travailing was around the revival banner and he said we all know about the revival now but he said it was birthed at the revival banner back then all those souls when Steve would get up and he would make an altar call and they were all coming down weeping and, and getting their lives right with God the prayers of people before that meeting that were groaning and travailing for souls is the reason why they were there there were people that came to that revival didn't even know they were there I don't have the time to tell all these bunch of stories I gotta stay on track but there was this one guy that some some reporters said I'm telling you you look like a snake you know she was trying to describe him but she asked him what are you doing here waiting in line he said lady I don't know she, he said I was doing drugs or something and he said this voice told me to go to this revival and I'll meet you there and she said what do you think is gonna happen he said lady I'm gonna meet the person behind the voice that told me to come here and you know what he ran down and got saved that night why did snake man show up to church because somebody was praying and groaning and travailing and the Holy Spirit found him and got him there you understand what I'm saying these type of things don't just happen all right anyway he did he went down and gave his life to the Lord and there were there were thousands and thousands of stories like that people that just were drawn by the Holy Spirit there but it was all birth in prayer um, but anyway where I want to go with this tonight I want you to understand what I was talking about about the deep groaning and travailing the deep intercession that's the great threat right there I know you guys know this but for the sake of the recording there was a lady that used to be in the hardcore Satanism and one of her specialties was to infiltrate Christian churches and pretend to be a Christian to destroy the church and she was saying that she was taught and then she taught others the number one thing you do is get prayer out of the church so if it's a powerful spirit-filled church where they pray you're to target the prayer ministry and somehow get it out of the church and then she they told a story of how that actually happened in a very powerful church it was very sad so that's how much of a threat prayer is to the devil that even his servants that go in or taught get prayer out of the church so when I was reading first Kings 18 I was reading about the showdown between Elijah and Jezebel and that whole thing remember Elijah was up on Mount Carmel the prophets of Baal and Asher were there there were hundreds of them there was one of Elijah and Elijah it says this it says that he rebuilt the altar that Jezebel had torn down and that's why I wanted that artwork that I put on this particular one because I believe Jezebel is one of the principal spirits behind the lack of prayer and the lack of revival in our church in America right now the Jezebel spirit has been working overtime to tear down the altars of prayer there's churches that used to were a lot different than they are now that they had a lot of really powerful prayer they had a history of prayer they had an altar there so to speak but something came in and tore that altar down disbanded prayer and they haven't been praying for years now it's become about programs and other things the church has been and I use the word seduced 
for a reason. The church has been seduced by numbers and money and fame so that they've abandoned prayer and revival and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we've got to rebuild God's altar if we're ever going to see a breakthrough. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, what does it say? We all know if my people, what? Will humble themselves and pray. So we've got to get back to this because prayer is what breaks through to see revival and see the harvest of souls. If you want your loved ones to be saved, you better start praying for them. If you want things to change, you want your neighborhood, you want to see people around you affected by the gospel, you're going to have to pray the Holy Spirit move on their life. So I'm going to give you seven major keys to revival that I feel are very important tonight. I'm just going to kind of read through them. The first one I want to talk about is loving God with all your heart. That, how many knows that's the most important thing? So when Jesus was here, you know, somebody asked him what's the greatest commandments and all that. And um, it was the response was that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but then to love other people. But let's talk about love God with all your heart, being completely sold out to him. That there's no area in our lives that we're still living for ourselves. Uh, Jesus said, if you seek to keep your own life, you will end up losing it. But if you lose your life in him, you'll find true life. So we've got to live a life that's completely, 100%, laid down on the altar, crucified with Christ, give him everything. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the love of God is that we're faithful to him and that we obey him. We're keeping his word because we love him. And we're no longer seeking things on our own terms, but we want the Lord's terms. Does that make sense? We don't want God when it's just comfortable for us or when we need something. We're not living for him on our terms. Also, we're willing to look like a fool for him. You're living in a time where this world is becoming increasingly hostile against Christianity. And to believe the Bible and to be somebody that's spirit-filled and living the life is become increasingly strange to this world, including America, which was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And anyway, so you have to be willing to be a fool in the eyes of men. And I would even say in the day and time that we're living, I, I hate that I have to say this, but I honestly believe it to be true. There's so, so much backsliding and worldliness in the church right now that you may be hard-pressed to find too many other people professing Christianity that really truly share your godly convictions. And so you may have to be willing to suffer some that you don't have as many friends as what you would like to have, but draw close to Jesus and stay in God's house. Also, pressing into him for the relationship. I'm telling you the most important thing. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If I was to ask most people out there that I, we go out witnessing on these nights, I guarantee you I'd meet several people tonight and, and many of them would say, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's very common here in the South to say something like that. 
And some of them really are, and they love God, and they live the life, and I believe they are. But most of that I've talked to, you can tell that they don't really know the Lord. And if you were to ask them, well, what's the Lord been speaking to you lately? They would all of a sudden get tongue-tied because they have no idea. See, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. It's a relationship. And the scary thing is Matthew 7, 21. Many, Jesus said, will say to me on that, that day, Lord, we did all these works in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. He throws them into hell. And he says, because I did not know you. And you practice lawlessness. You lived in sin. But I didn't know you. I didn't have a relationship. I want a relationship with the Lord. If somebody was to ask me, what's the Lord speaking to you? I could answer the question. As a matter of fact, Steve Hill did that to me. I was supposed to be meeting with him in 2003. And, um, you know, we sat down to talk just him and I. But he was probing me because he knew how many people out there were just religious. But they didn't really know the Lord. And so he's asking me, well, what's the Lord been saying to you? And I, I finally was like, well, it's kind of personal, man. But I started telling him, and he just kind of laughed, and he said, it's okay. I just wanted to make sure that you really knew the Lord, that you heard his voice. You have a relationship with him. That's the mark of a true Christian is that they have a relationship with the Lord. The second thing is, is loving people. Let me, let me read this to you. This is something that Derek Prince wrote, and I love this. It's not very long, just bear with me here. It says, how love comes. So how do we get to where we really love people with God's love? Because the world's love is selfish. It's what can I get out of the relationship? God's love is giving. How do you love people unconditionally? Well, listen to this story Derek Prince said. He said, this was when he was in the military, and he said that if we want to make love our aim, we first must be able to receive God's love. The primary, I'm sorry, the Lord primarily imparts his love to us in two ways. The first way is by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us in Romans 5.5. 5. He said, I don't think there's any limit to God's side of this equation. He just pours out his love. The limit is on our side of how much we can receive. I have sometimes experienced the love of God being poured out into my heart by the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. He says, let me share one brief example. I mentioned above, I'm reading this from Derek Prince. I mentioned above I served in the British Army in North Africa a few, a few years into my service. I ended up in a very remote, barren, inhospitable corner of what is now the Sudan. Before I was sent to my specific assignment, which was a small military hospital in the Red Sea Hills, I was detained for a few weeks in what the British Army calls a reception station. For the first time in three years of my Army life, I didn't have to sleep just in undergarments. The reception station was equipped with actual night clothes and everything else that could make you comfortable, including three real beds that were there. And since I had no patience to tend to, I thought, why not enjoy the night clothes in the bed, right? <laughs> so one night I began to pray for the people of the Sudan. And this particular tribe upon whom I focused my prayers was called the Hadendoa. The people were aggressive and warlike. They had known no religion but Islam all their lives. The men had a habit of covering their hair with mutton fat 
so that it stood about eight inches above their heads. To me, there was nothing outwardly attractive or appealing about this tribe. But that night, as I began to pray for them, God poured out his love in my heart for them. I couldn't even lie on the bed. I had to get up and pace, praying earnestly for these people whom I did not know and whom I had no natural reason whatsoever for loving these people. As I was interceding in the darkness of my room in the middle of the night, I discovered that my white night clothes began to gleam. They were supernaturally illuminated. That phenomenon indicated to me that somehow, just for a few moments, I had become identified with Jesus, the great intercessor. Sometime, sometime later, I had the privilege of leading to the Lord the first member of the Hadendoa tribe who ever confessed Jesus Christ as Savior. I share this experience because it provided for me in some measure in understanding what it means to have the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a powerful story? And so as we begin to intercede for people and really pray for them, including the people that have wronged us, God begins by his Holy Spirit to pour his love in. And that's why I remember seeing during the altar calls at Browns, I remember Steve Hill, you would see tears in his eyes. It wasn't something you could fake. But the reason why he felt that way was because God, the Holy Spirit, had poured his love into Steve for those souls. But do we love people enough to truly walk in forgiveness and willing to give of ourselves? To be an intercessor for them, to witness to people. But there's something there about really walking in that forgiveness to, about what others have done, okay? And um, sometimes forgiveness and loving others can be difficult because of how vicious some people can be. But if we begin to really pray for them, like Derek Prince was talking about, the Holy Spirit can begin to pour his love into us to where we love the unlovable. So you have loving God with all your heart. You have loving people. And I believe that those two first points are very key to revival. The next one is humbling ourselves. We have to realize that our dependence is on the Lord. It is on his anointing and the moving of his spirit. Human efforts will fall short. How do we humble ourselves? Well, we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and repentance. But we also humble ourselves when we realize our complete and utter dependence on him. That it is not us. It's not our intelligence. It's not our abilities. It's not our wisdom or anything else. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit that this gets accomplished. We humble ourselves by truly depending on him and his spirit. And I believe this type of humility breaks the power of Leviathan, the spirit of pride. Because we humble ourselves underneath that. See, when you humble yourself down like that, these spiritual forces can't get a hold of you. Because you're in humility, Leviathan has nowhere to land. Number four, eliminating all the legalism and all that religious spirit out of our midst. I believe this breaks the power of a religious spirit, which also is called in the Bible the Antichrist spirit. That's why we have unstructured services. 
because we're not trying to be about man's control we want the holy spirit to kind of guide how the service is going to go and we do our best to move with him but a religious spirit there's a lot i could say here a religious spirit primarily has to do with unrighteous judgment criticism people that sit back and are critical of revivals and critical of other christians and ministries etc I love you but you have a religious spirit and that is a demonic spirit that's not the Holy Spirit you don't read about the Holy Spirit love joy peace criticism okay that's another spirit so you've got a critical spirit which is a religious spirit also conformity a religious spirit it's kind of funny to watch this play out because so many different people come from completely different backgrounds but whatever religious background they come from they feel like that is right and everybody needs to be like them and if you're not you're wrong and so you get all these different people from all these different walks of life that come in and they want to impose their religion on you well you need to do this and you need to stop doing this and at the end of the day it's kind of like well we're going to do what the holy spirit says we love you but you know God is not about conformity like that. That's a religious spirit. God made all of us where all of our fingerprints are different. All these different snowflakes are different. You know, there's all these different, uh, all over the world, people look different. God's a God of diversity, but a religious spirit is a, is a demonic spirit that's trying to conform people into their image, what they think you should be. And I believe that there's room for everybody to be different. I believe River of Life has a unique calling. And I'm not trying to make people be like us. But I'm certainly not going to let people try to make us like them. I believe everybody's got a unique calling to be what God's uniquely called us to be. And we don't need to try to be like everybody else. And everybody else doesn't necessarily need to try to be like us. We just not, all need to ask the Lord, what do you want us to do? But a religious spirit is all about that conformity and criticism. And a religious spirit is very prideful and it wants to debate and argue about stupid little things all the time. They want to debate. They feel like they know the word better than you. And so they're always wanting to debate and try to, you know, bait you into something. That's a religious spirit. But if we'll eliminate all that legalism and that religious spirit out of our midst, it'll break the power of a religious spirit. And when the religious spirit is gone, there's freedom. There's an open heaven. There's freedom in praise and worship. Number five, you're going to have to expose and deal with any form of witchcraft in a Jezebel spirit. It cannot be tolerated at all. This spirit is a great enemy to revival. It always has been. Remember last week, Elijah kind of you know symbolically speaking speaks of the fire of revival okay and elijah's great enemy was jezebel but we know that jezebel and specifically witchcraft tries to bring things disorder people are rebellious toward authority things are out of order which of course rebellion and lawlessness did you know the bible says in the latter days that people's love will grow cold because of the increase of lawlessness what is lawlessness think about that word for a minute it's trying to to rebel against whatever rules and laws there are so whatever that means in this in the local church 
there's going to be leadership they're going to rebel against the leaders the leaders are going to have things in place in the way of rules there has to be rules or there's going to be chaos and anarchy but they'll always be trying to buck up against that nobody's going to tell them what to do rebellion and lawlessness but it's a warning in scripture in the last days lawlessness would increase and it would cause the love of most people to get very cold and let me say this too i always grieve at how many people are kind of out of church and they're not spiritually covered the way they need to be they need to read the word of god about these things because god has invested his authority in the local church there's a five-fold ministry and when you humble yourself to come under that covering of authority there is great protection but you have to be a humble person and you have to be somebody in humility that will submit to authority let god lead you to the right place and come under that authority and be submissive there if you are you're going to be protected from the principalities and powers and the wickedness and the heavenlies and all this last day garbage that's going on but if you're a rebel and you're somebody that's out of church and you're not going to have anybody over you nobody's going to tell me what to do and nobody's going to be over me and you're that type of person your love will grow cold because you're lawless and you're going to be open to major satanic attack also jezebel has a lot to do with ungodly control they want to manipulate they want to intimidate and they want to control they want to get their way and finally counterfeit revelation it's connected to a spirit of divination in the bible it's called python but there is a strong spirit connected to jezebel that has to do with occult revelation divination you have to discern it and you cannot tolerate this in your midst and if people won't repent god needs to get rid of them let me tell you when you try let me say this for christian leaders out there when you and i try to get rid of these type people some people hearing this if you're a pastor and a leader you know what i'm talking about it's going to be all hell's going to break loose and i mean it's going to be a fight but you can pray them out go through that church when nobody's there where they sit and you'll usually feel something there that's demonic but go through there and ask god to begin to cause that he himself will uproot jezebel and clean house and you'll find that god will cause it to manifest and then they'll be removed in one way or another but they cannot be there they will cause so many problems i remember i had a vision one time we were in here praying i don't know who this was for but god used river of life to pray for another church i had a very clear vision from the lord and we were praying one night and the holy spirit came on me and I, I remember i began to really pray because i felt that there was some pastor out there that was really coming up against the jezebel spirit and i felt it very strong and i was praying lord send them relief bring a breakthrough and i saw this vision just open up and i saw an angel of the lord walk into the foyer of a church and this person this woman was sitting there talking like this to people and he grabbed her by the back of her collar and listen as soon as his hand touched her she began to scream and yell cussing profanity and he grabbed her and he just began to take her out kicking and screaming out the church that's what i'm talking about right there pray them out number six we have to truly get desperate and this is what i really want to 
close with is this. We have to get desperate. There's too many people that are spiritually dead and dry. Right now, there's people out there spread all over that spiritually speaking, they're dragging themselves across desert sands. They're so dry. Some of them have never experienced revival. And they really need somebody to get a breakthrough. Somebody got, somebody's got to pay the price in prayer to get the breakthrough. See, here's where I'm at about this. I'm desperate enough that whatever God's got to do, whoever needs to come, whoever needs to go, whatever he needs to change, whatever he needs to bring in, whatever he needs to take out, whatever he needs to do, just do it, Lord. I mean, it's like a desperate cry, and I'll tell you why. Because I leave out of here week after week. We witness all the time, but I leave out of here week after week. And I see all these people around here. And I know that if something was to happen, many of them would spend eternity in hell. And that bothers me like I could not tell you. And I'm praying for them. And we go out and we try to talk to them. But we need a spiritual breakthrough that's going to open up the harvest. See, the, in the story, you know, Peter and them, they were fishing all night not really catching anything and these were professional fishermen but when the lord showed up and said hey cast the net on the other side it seemed so ridiculous and stupid in the natural yet they caught such a big harvest they could barely pull it on the boat that's what i'm talking about you've been fishing you've been fishing you've been fishing you've been praying but when the lord shows up the harvest comes in he's the lord of the harvest and there's got to be a desperation. The true sign that God is really about to move is desperate intercession. That's what I believe since the Holy Spirit really moved in Brianna's life and began to move into the church that way. I began to understand that God was doing a great preparation because that was 100% sovereign act of God Almighty to do that. I didn't do anything. I was not even in a good place. But the Holy Spirit just hit my daughter and she began to grow and it began to break out in the whole church. And we had several people begin to move in deep intercession. And just like what Jonathan Burness was saying to Sid Roth, he said that when they went to Russia later, years later, that harvest came in, but it was birthed in the hotel room. I'm telling you that this deep groaning and this travailing and this intercession is birthing souls and down the road at some point in time it's going to open up and there's going to be all these people getting saved but we see them getting saved but we have to understand that they were birthed in the travailing and intercession of years gone by and i've known since that time that god is really doing something he is preparing something very deep and while he's been groaning and travailing through the intercessors He's been taking us on a journey of deeply consecrating our lives as a church. And those that's had the humility and the wisdom to really go with this, Isaiah 58, Joel 2, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if you kind of put them all together, there's five things. Humility, number one. Number two, prayer. We've been praying. And let me just say, when revival breaks out, we better remain humble and we better keep praying. Because just because revival breaks out doesn't mean you stop praying. That would be so stupid. 
I mean, that would literally be like you're in war and you're shooting your gun, the enemy shows up and you drop your gun down on the ground. I mean, that's the time to pray all the more because now the enemy is going to be targeting all the more. But we've been humbling ourselves and praying and we've been fasting as a church and we've been giving financially, individually and corporately. And we've been continually consecrating our lives, repenting of things. And God has been continually taking us deeper. So there's been this great preparation that's been going on. And some people have gone, new people have come. But I'm going to tell you a warning as I close this sermon out. I say this in love, but everybody hearing this, people on Facebook, people that are hearing this on the internet, people are driving down the road, you're listening to a podcast. I'm telling you, you better sell out completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're living in a time where I personally have seen multiple people, some of which I would have never thought in a million years that are no longer Christians and walking with God. They, they, the devil came in. They got knocked off course. It's a, it's a difficult time. The Bible calls these times perilous times. And I'm telling you, don't have anything in you that you refuse to give to Jesus. Lay your life in complete surrender on the altar and say, Jesus, do in me whatever you've got to do. I'm not going to be stubborn. I'm not going to be rebellious. Just whatever you've got to do in me, do it. Cut out what's got to go. Put in what's got to come. Change what you've got to change. But don't hold back. Because it's those very areas that people are like, I'll give Jesus everything but this. It's that area of the but this that the devil has hit them and the next thing you know, they're off into some loony stuff. And you're thinking, how did they get there? How did somebody that God was touching so mightily, they experienced God's power, they saw things, they experienced things, yet now they're as far from God as you can imagine? How does that even happen? Because they refused to give the Lord everything, and the devil found that weak spot and targeted it. And Derek Prince said this in regard to desperation. Let me feel that in the spirit tonight. Even as I'm talking, I feel just this holy desperation. And I feel the great intercessor up there saying, it, is there a group of people that will have my burden for souls? Is there somebody, I just feel like the Lord, the great high priest, the great intercessor saying, is there somebody that will share my burden and will begin to really pray and fast and agree with me? Like what Derek Prince experienced where even his garments began to illuminate because he was so connected to that prayer for those people. Is there somebody that will have the Lord's burden? And Derek Prince wrote this in his book. He said, Father, I stand in awe of your presence. Thank you for challenging the challenge of your word that has come to me. I cry to you for mercy for my nation. God, have mercy on us. In judgment, remember mercy. And listen to what he said. Enable me by your grace and by the Holy Spirit to experience a breakthrough in prayer. To pray in desperation for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to draw this nation back to you. But see, that's what he understood. That desperation has to come from the Lord. And so, Lord, tonight, those that are willing in the sound of my voice... Lord, we ask you to give us your burden for prayer. Lord, give us your burden for souls. 
Lord, give us a holy desperation. Don't let us just be where we are and, and given over to our own devices and, and things of man, things of the world. We don't want all that, Lord. We're asking for a move of God. We're asking you, Lord, to show up. We've counted the cost. We know that revival, there's a cost. We know that there's persecution. But, Lord, we're asking you that you would pour out your spirit and give us such a burden. And, Lord, give us a harvest of souls. There's so many out there tonight. We'll go out and witness. But, Lord, you know there's so many out there that if they die in their sin, they're going to go straight to hell. And, Lord, I just pray that what Steve Hill, I just feel this tonight. Brother Steve help plant this ministry and lord remember remember his prayers let there be a holy desperation remember lord the prayers remember the prayers of brownsville remember the children that had such a burden give us that burden again lord don't pass us by. Let there be a deep calling in the deep. Let there be a deep groaning. In Jesus' name. I feel the Holy Spirit just really begin to move in here tonight. We probably need to shut down recordings. Can you play, Lord, have mercy on this for me in A minor? Just play that. And Father, we pray for that right now. Even as the intercessors are here, there's a stirring. There's a stirring in this place. Whew. And Lord, intercessors, just begin to pray. Can you help me out? Play something, please. As the intercessors maybe just begin to pray. My Lord, I pray for that stirring. We're not going to dumb things down here in River of Life to cater to the worldly and the carnal and 